The Education Apple, Episode 3. Welcome to the Education Apple. This is the show that discusses Apple technology as it relates to education and also specifically as it uh, relates to society in general intersecting our daily lives. I'm your host, Bill Brazil, and I'm joined today by Barrett Mossbacker, superintendent of Briarwood Christian School. How are you doing tonight, Barrett? I'm doing great, Bill. Thank you. Good, good. And also Tim Towns, professor and chair of biochemistry and molecular genetics department at UAB, uh, back from Detroit. You doing okay tonight, Tim? Doing great, Billy. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, kind of to review the week, uh, the past week, we had a big week with the new iPhone 5 coming out, and I believe they sold around... Five million iPhones in the first three days. Um, that's not a bad uh, weekend to rack up, I guess. Uh, it was maybe not quite as many as some people had predicted, but it was about 25% um, over the iPhone 4S release. So they, uh, they're they still making uh, progress in the iPhone sales. I think two of the three of us purchased iPhones over the weekend. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yep. Tim 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 got on board and I got on board and uh Barrett says he's gonna wait on the new maps application to come out, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe Tim should have after uh, his uh, uh episode in uh England and uh, falling into the ditch, uh, he, yeah. he might need a pretty good map app there. <laughs> yeah, that's... maybe I could uh yeah, could have gotten a picture of the yeah. berm and not fallen into it. Yeah, well, hey, if you had your new iPhone, you know iPhone 5, you could have taken a panorama of your falling into the <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, but anyway, I think they said um, they were expecting, or some people are projecting, them to sell 50 million phones during the the holiday quarter. Uh, and in order to do that, they're going to have to make uh, about a half a million phones per day to produce that off their assembly line. So, somebody's going to be pretty busy making all those iPhones. I don't know who that's going to be, but. That is just incredible. <laughs> that, I, I can't imagine that they sold five million in three days. That that's just an incredible manufacturing feat, also. Yeah, it really is, most definitely. But um, anyway, um, I don't know, Tim. You probably have a, a story. I was going to give a quick story about my iPhone purchase. I really wasn't planning on. Um, buying one on on day one on the friday that they came out but uh i hadn't pre-ordered and i certainly wasn't going to stand in line but what i ended up doing at uh, around noon on friday i was going from point a to point b and um lo and behold there was an at&t store in between those two points so i thought well i'll just stop in and see what the deal is i really wasn't expecting much uh, especially you know, at noon uh, after they had released them early that morning. But I dropped in and asked the person there if they had any iPhones, and they said no. That's pretty much what I expected. But I kind of hung around a little bit and was looking at a few things, and I heard somebody else talking about some some more coming in. And so I asked somebody else, and they said, well, uh, 
you know, there we do expect a shipment later today, and we're taking reservations. So I thought, well, heck, I'll just I'll uh, put a reservation in. That can't hurt. And while I was uh, well, I hadn't even started the process yet, and they came up and said, oh, our iPhones are in. And um, we have some extras over and above the reservations that we've taken. So I said, well, uh, I'll take one. So I was able to pretty much just walk in and buy one and walk right out without having to wait in line or, you know, waste any time on uh, purchasing one. But I think that's the first time I've actually gotten one on the first day. So um, that was kind of fun. And I. That's amazing. I, I'm surprised. I. I uh, my son David wanted to get an iPhone. He's been uh, he's been waiting a long time. Well, he had an iPhone four, but he had broken the glass on it, and he can barely read it. But he was <laughs> waiting until the iPhone five to come, came out yeah. until he got another one. And I told him we'd get another one for him. But we went down on Saturday to the Apple Store here in Birmingham at the Summit. And they were completely sold out. So I think they were getting another shipment the next morning, but they were all reserved. Were they? So, um, but I actually got mine through work. Um, and they had been able to order some. And so I, but I was surprised to get it. I thought I might not get it until Christmas. Yeah. Well, I had been in the app, I mean, the AT&T store before and just ask about, um, you know, the availability, this was on, I guess, one of the previous versions. And they told me at that time that they didn't have any. They didn't know when they were going to get any, and they really hadn't been sent very many to begin with. So <laughs> I wasn't really wow. expecting much this time. But um, We they, did also ask at Best Buy, and they had sold out there also so, yeah, yeah. Well, for I, my son. So he doesn't have his. Right. Now. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to pick up one pretty soon. You, it, you know, you really kind of, if you hadn't pre-ordered uh, one, you almost have to just kind of happen upon it at the right yeah. time. So just tell him to keep checking in because if he'll, um, you know, do that periodically, he probably will hit on a time when uh, they'll have some in the store. But yeah, it's just hard to tell ahead of time for sure. But I will say one of the, things that i've been most impressed with and i thought i would be but of course until i was had it in my hand and uh gave it a good try i didn't know but the you know lte was turned on here in birmingham just a couple of weeks ago so that was great timing for the release of this phone and uh the speeds of lte at, at my house anyway and i've checked around different places is pretty amazing it's at my house i'm getting uh, 30 meg downloads and about 12 meg upload speed. So that's way faster than, uh, you know, my, my, uh, cable modem. And, um, it's just amazing how fast that, that LTE network is. But that's been pretty impressive. And I've, I've, uh, had fun with that. Have you tried to test yours out, Tim? Or are you just, yeah, well, I can tell it's a lot faster, but I didn't actually quantitate it. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I need to, to measure the upload and download speeds, but it's very, very noticeably faster. Yeah. I think it's a combination of, of the faster processor making, you know, just the, yes. the way it operates a lot, uh, a lot quicker. Plus, you know, when you are on the LTE network, it, um, you know, has a big impact on the speed and the response time as well. So uh, it's pretty impressive. I, I'm I'm pretty pleased 
uh, for the most part with just the general, um, you know, speed of the of the phone. So, um, and then I think, you know, the larger screen really makes a, a difference. It's um, kind of a you would think it's kind of a small thing, but uh, just that little bit of extra real estate on the screen, uh, I can I can tell a big difference. Just you know looking at my calendar, being able to see more of my appointments on the bottom and uh, looking at websites, being able to see more of uh, the, the actual pages. And um, I think, you know, that that's a bigger deal than, than I was anticipating. So, uh, and I, I've, <laughs> I've looked back at my old uh, iPhone 4S now that my wife inherited and it looks kind of, <laughs> it looks kind of funny. It's, it's it looks to me kind of like it's a, short and squatty now compared to uh the new one but um you know it's just kind of what you get used to but that larger screen i think is is pretty nice you did you notice the same thing yeah i did billy and i um i in general read uh newspapers and the um and these scientific journal articles on my ipad and didn't usually read them on my phone but i've read several things now read the paper for several days and read uh uh several scientific papers but holding it in the horizontal position online it really it goes fast and uh it it really is very much easier to read yeah um so i've been very i'm very impressed with it yeah. i love it <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Well, of course, the bad news is I saw an uh, article in the Wall Street Journal this week about um, cell phone costs eating into the family budget. And uh, Yes, I read that too. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, definitely attest to that. But yeah. <laughs> the, the, the figures that they gave in the, uh, in the article, though, didn't quite match up to mine. Unfortunately, my my uh, cost, I think, were significantly higher, but they were they were saying that the average household's uh, annual spending on phone services rose to about twelve hundred dollars in 2011, and that was up from uh, about eleven hundred dollars in 2007. So that was that's about a ten percent increase, and um, I guess that's really not that surprising. But I know my figures are, are way higher than that for a family of four but um you know that's uh i i can complain on the one hand but on the other hand since i'm an at&t employee and uh stockholder i i don't you know i don't mind that too terribly much because i guess i figure i'll receive some of that back in the future but (laughs) we'll see so anyway uh moving on uh we want to talk about uh some of our uh, areas that we're following from week to week, and I uh, wanted to uh, turn it over to Barrett to kind of get a report back on um, uh, technology integration in education and uh, what they are uh, doing at Briarwood and some of the uh, issues that they're looking at. So I think Barrett has a uh, topic today he wants to discuss with us. So I'll just turn it over to him. Well, guys, I thought I would just take just a moment to talk about maybe some of the the potential uh, benefits as well as the the dangers of technology integration in uh, in education and perhaps some of the steps that we're taking. Uh, 
hopefully for most of our listeners, the benefits are pretty obvious, but there are several that we've highlighted that we're particularly interested in. Uh, and in, in, in no particular order, one of the things we're looking for is, of course, is engaging uh, the modern student more in the classroom. It's very difficult for most of us, let alone our students, to sit for seven hours a day in a passive environment, essentially listening, taking notes. Uh, and studying to take exams. And so what we're looking to do is employ technology in such a way that that learning becomes much more active, uh, a bit more student-centered, where the student takes a lot more ownership in his or her learning, uh, and just to f- significantly enhance the, the level of engagement on the part of our learners as well as our teachers. Along those lines, we also want to move towards what is typically known as project-based learning, but in our particular environment with the technology uh, using the Apple products and things, we're going to focus on what's called challenge-based learning. Project-based learning is what you would think it would be. The students are engaged in groups and as individuals in dealing with a real-world project of some sort, and uh, they're bringing the various academic skills and conceptual ideas uh, to bear on that particular problem. Uh, and typically, a student might present a paper or a research findings or a presentation or a combination of those things to the classroom. What differentiates challenge-based learning from the project-based learning environment, though, is that in challenge-based learning, the idea is that the students do all of those things, but in addition to that, they're working on a real problem, and they propose a real solution to an authentic audience that would have the ability or the interest in applying the solution in some manner uh, to the particular problem. So it might be uh, local authorities. Uh, it, it could be a scientific project of some sort. It, it could be a political issue, uh, any number of things like that. And the idea is to make that learning authentic as students are engaged in it. And then when you take those those notions of engaging the learners, uh, project or challenge-based learning, you want to weave into that what are called the 21st century uh, university and work skills, which have some commonality with what students have always needed to learn. But there are certain skills in particular that are different as, re- as a result of the growth of digital technologies. Uh, an example would be where, as in the past when you and I probably were in school, uh, we had two or three key sources of information, the teacher, the encyclopedia, in the school and or local libraries, and those were our sources of information. Now, using the iPhone 5 or the iPad or the MacBook or whatever it might be, students literally have a world's worth of information in their hands. So one of the essential skills is to teach these students how to curate that information, how to assess and validate what is legitimate, what perhaps is not so legitimate, synthesize it, analyze it in some fashion, then utilize it. So that would be just one example of a 21st century skill uh, that we think is particularly important as we uh, deploy this technology. Got a question for you on that, um, Barrett. How, you know, that's uh, definitely a different approach to what, um, you know, we've been used to in the past and and what the teachers have been used to in terms of uh, teaching. So is it going to be um, difficult for the teachers to kind of uh, assess the um, the students and, and how they present material? And, I mean, it seems like it's going to be a different type of uh, testing or a different type of grading. Or do you see that as an issue or, or a, a new skill to... Uh, kind of help the teachers out with, or do you think that's just going to carry over from what they've 
been used to in the past? I think it's a little bit of both. Anytime you deploy a new pedagogy in a classroom and combine that with new technologies, there are new skills for students as well as the faculty to learn. So there's no question that teachers will have to learn some new methods for assessing and even managing a classroom within that environment. The good news is that uh, we have contracted with Apple who have experts in these areas for multiple years to train our teachers for the next several years on how to teach using challenge-based learning and using challenge-based learning to employ technology tools. So the, our teachers are going to receive substantial amount of training. So, yes, there are things they need to learn. On the other hand, it's not an either-or proposition. We're not throwing out everything that's always been done in terms of traditional education. Essentially, what we want to do is combine or synthesize the best of the old and the new together. So there will be a lot of things in our classrooms that will be very uh, normal, very traditional in many respects. And then we're going to enhance and extend what we're doing in the classroom by employing these new methods. So it's a combination of both of those. So it's a change. Any change represents a, a challenge to those involved with it, but it's not a wholesale uh, turning the cart upside down, as it were. It's more of an enhancement to what we're doing currently. Yeah, and I guess bottom line, hopefully it's going to be uh, a little more fun to go through the the process of learning um, some of these uh, some of the materials. So maybe that'll that'll help out as well. Oh, I think it will. And I've got to say, uh, part of our initiative here was what we call our extended period uh, schedule, which I won't go into at the moment. But what's been very gratifying is that universally we have had positive responses on the part of both teachers as well as students. And one of the things they're telling us is that the classrooms are much more engaged, much more active, uh, much more enjoyable for our students and even for the teachers to teach. So that is a very positive sign for us. Yeah, that'll be fun to kind of see how that uh, plays out and um, interesting to follow that as it uh, moves moves forward. So. Um, and, and you expect, or the plan now, I guess, is for that to uh, kick off in uh, January for uh, several of our grades, right? Yes, the, the plan is that in January that we will deploy the iPads to our 7th and 8th grade students. And then uh, next August, we will uh, distribute the iPads to our ninth through 12th grade students. Great. Barrett, I have a question. And is there any subject that will uh, that will not use challenge-based learning is every teacher going to uh, be involved and I think the answer is yes but uh, I don't know if all of our listeners uh, would uh, c- conceive of a way that you might be able to to use this uh, new uh, technology and challenge-based learning for math and English and history and political science um, and and science. So is there any course that will not use challenge-based learning and the technology, new technology? Uh, well, almost – well, every course will use the new technology. There could be one or two courses that might not be as um, – Initially, perhaps use the challenge-based learning. I'm thinking of our Mandarin Chinese program, although it, it can lend itself to challenge-based learning as we begin to deal with international affairs and politics and the language and how you bring those things together. But in answer to the question, Tim, I think the the response would be that we are going to use challenge-based learning in every subject, but not all the time. Yes. So I think that's the key. In other words, at different points in the year – 
they'll the teachers will create thematic lessons that will incorporate different subjects simultaneously in dealing with a particular problem, but they right. won't be doing a challenge based project all the time. Yes. Okay. Very interesting. In fact, Tim, you're probably familiar with this. It's a bit like – I don't know if UAB does this in this medical school or not, but I know that Samford does this in their nursing program. Uh, Samford has an extensive project-based learning for training their nurses, uh, but that's not the only mode of learning that they have, so that would be similar. Right, right. Well, I know the medical curriculum has changed uh, a lot in the last – uh, two years. And now, for instance, uh, anatomy is not taught as one block, but there's uh, an organ systems are taught. And so the first year students uh, and the second year students are doing anatomy, but only for particular organ systems. And uh, and so they're doing anatomy for two years. Uh, and then, on, of course, all the histology and pathology is integrated into each organ system, and they're utilizing um, their uh, computers to look at all the histological slides, and so uh, virtually all of the information is digital now. So, so there's a way, there's a sense in which Tim that what we're doing at the secondary level is correctly positioning the students for collegiate work. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Barrett, thank you for that uh, update, and um, we look forward to seeing um, how that progresses as time moves forward here. So we'll get another update next time on uh, uh, how you're approaching things there at Briarwood uh, related to the technology and the Apple rollout. Um, I was going to spend a little bit of time just kind of reviewing uh, some of the iOS 6 updates. We talked about what we had expected uh, that to be a few weeks ago, but um, we have now gotten that into our hands, and there's been a lot of uh, fallout uh, and <laughs> other conversation about some of the updates. I think for the most part, they've been good, but there has been a little bit uh, bad, I guess we could say. We can start with that uh, just in terms of the uh, the Maps application. I think uh, Google Maps set a pretty high standard, and a lot of people were um, pretty familiar with that. But uh, with the new release of the uh, the operating system, Apple uh, yanked that out for numerous reasons and uh, put in their own Apple Maps, which, you know, there there's definitely some good there, but uh, a lot of people um, did not uh, like some of the things that were removed uh, that, that Google provided but I think I saw where it may have come down to one of the biggest uh, uh, issues that, that uh, caused Apple to make the switch was the turn-by-turn voice navigation. I don't know if you all uh, saw anything about that, but apparently uh, Google um, was pretty adamant about not including that in their Maps application. And, you know, they they have had it on Android for several years, and that was a pretty big uh, differentiating factor uh, between uh, Android phones and uh, iPhones. So I think, uh, you know, Google kind of put their heels in the ground and said, no, we're not going to uh, provide that for the iPhone. And I think Apple, among other, for other reasons uh, as well, just decided, well, we're going to do our own thing. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of interesting. And, of course, those guys um, 
they they're pretty uh, big players in the market, and um, you know they can kind of uh, uh, set their own their own pattern as how they're going to do things. But um, I think that was a big part of why Apple uh, went with their own application. But I think given enough time, um, you know, the Apple Maps application is going to going to come up to speed and they'll get all those uh, wrinkles worked out but you know at least we do have the turn by turn navigation uh, the spoken navigation and the uh, the 3D interface is, is interesting I'm not sure how helpful that is but um, you know if you're going somewhere that you haven't been before and want to kind of get a little bit of a, a view right there from the, the Apple's map application you can do that with the uh, the 3D did you look at that any while you were uh in Detroit this week, Tim? Yeah, I did, Billy, and uh, I was very impressed with it. There there was one address uh, that uh, didn't come up exactly right, and I think that is the uh, – uh, that's the uh, – I'm sorry, somebody just came in here, <laughs> but the um, – uh, I couldn't find one address, and I think I've I've heard a number of people say that those are somewhat self-correcting. They're expecting people to um, to make them aware of addresses that aren't uh, exactly right, and I think those will be corrected fairly quickly. So there's going to be some evolution of it over the next six months. I think it will get better and better and better. Yeah. So there there will be updates that will come out probably quarterly, right. and many of those uh, uh, locations will be corrected. Yeah. Well, guys, let me ask you a question. You both have the iPhone 5, and of course, I've read a lot of these accounts as well, and, and I'm sure there's some hyperbole there, but there's an awful lot of angst regarding the inaccuracies, uh, particularly in other countries, I think even more so than the United States. But Apple has always been known for the great user uh, experience and for doing a superb job. Do, do you get the sense that in this case that Apple may have released this one a bit too early without enough field testing? Oh, uh, that that probably could be. I, I saw where I think they've been working on this for several years, but – um, you know, how much field testing has actually taken place. That's, you know, it's such a mammoth uh, project. Uh, it'd be hard to really test it out very thoroughly before releasing it to the public. So, um, you know, maybe they kind of expected some of this and just knew that uh, uh, this was going to be part of the process. I don't know, but um, I think they're their database is definitely going to have to um, be improved, and it probably, I'm sure it will be. It'll get a lot of attention, but I, I don't know how you can really test out something like that. Yeah, I, I am sure that Google Maps had similar issues uh, as it was first coming out. And so I, I think they just pulled the trigger on it and said, we know there are going to be uh, some problems and s- some issues. Um but I think the the you know everyone's expectation was that it was going to be perfect, <laughs> yeah. or it was going to be, and it clearly is not perfect, and so I think they felt like it was going to be as good as they could make it without this uh, correcting mechanism, and um, yeah. just Google, Google beat them the market with it, and they've perfected it over many years. Yeah, and and. Um there was something else I was going to mention, and I slipped my mind. But 
Um, oh, the other thing I was thinking of was, uh, you know, they released Siri with the the stamp of beta on it, and I think it's still stamped as beta, a beta product. I'm not sure if they've ever uh, changed that. And, uh, you know, I guess they Apple could have done that, but um, with such a major main application, maybe they felt like they <laughs> they couldn't risk stamping the beta uh, symbol on that particular application. So, Yeah, and the other thing is that it is free, and I know I have used... Uh, our uh, all of our family members have the AT&T Navigator, which we pay for monthly. And uh, I actually, since my phone is Verizon, uh, I've used uh, Verizon Navigator for several years, and um, and it's a spoken step by step. Uh, navigation system. I think it's nine ninety nine a month, which is fairly steep, uh, but it works all over the world, and it has been fabulous. But it's that's that's ten dollars a month, <laughs> and yeah. and this uh, uh, maps uh, Apple Maps is is free, and so I think that there's um, we we would expect a lot for it to be. Uh, perfect and free <laughs> from the very well, start. I don't know about so. your your Apple Maps, but my my Apple Maps cost three hundred ninety nine dollars. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you <Yeah>, oh, <laughs> I know I know what you're saying though. But um, when, there's uh, another one. It. There's another one out there that's uh, that I've mentioned in the past. Uh, it's called Waze. W a z e, and it's a driving uh, application, spoken word, and it's actually free truly is free and um you know so there are other options out there so people just like to gripe but um you know when it when it gets down to it there are other uh ways to get that information so um anyway but it'll be uh it'll be uh, something to keep an eye on over the next few months to see how apple really does address this and uh, make the improvements that uh, most all of us are expecting to see so We'll have to watch that. Uh, the photo stream part of, uh, I guess, the photo application is uh, pretty nice. I've played around with that a little bit already and set up a, an album for the family. So the way that works is you can set up a, uh, a photo album that you can share with whomever uh, you want to. And any photos you put in there, they can see and they can comment on. And uh, that's similar to a... Uh, a uh, service, I think, Tim, you mentioned uh, a time or two back. And uh, it's it's pretty fun to use. The, the one thing I think would be nice to see them update is to be able, uh, for others that are part of that album, to be able to add photos. Right now the way it works is the person who shares the album is the only one that can uh, actually place photos in it. So um, there's room for improvement there, but I think it's a... A fun little application that um, you can use with your friends and family. So, um. yeah, I have not checked that out yet, uh, but that's uh, I, I think that has really stimulated interactions among our families, uh, some of whom live far away. So, uh, my oldest daughter lives in Los Angeles, as I mentioned, maybe in one of the other broadcasts, and. Uh, the sh- sharing photos is uh, really brings 
the family together over long distances. Yeah. So um, yeah, this just true. makes it easier. It does, and it also is, um, you know, a little more private. You think, well, if I can share photos over Twitter or or Facebook or whatever, but um, some of those you may not really want everybody uh, else to see. So um, absolutely, you know, it's a nice way to kind yeah, of yeah. Being part of a defined group is is uh, I think very smart way to do things. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. There's definitely a time for privacy. Uh, we've kind of forgotten how that works. It seems like, but <laughs> we got to yeah, got to keep some things these days private. So. Um, and then the the phone call. I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but um, when you get a phone call now, uh, a little phone uh, icon shows up there on the bottom right hand of the screen, and you can flip it up, just like uh, the way the uh, the camera icon. You know, you just uh, slide it up, and it opens up the, yes. the camera. But the phone, there's a little phone icon now that you can do that with, and um, it lets you either reply immediately with a message or your other option is to remind you later. It'll put a reminder on your calendar uh, for an hour uh, or so. I think you can choose how, how long uh, in the future you want to be. But um, that's, that's pretty slick, and that seems to be pretty handy. Um, if you do the, the message, it gives you several canned messages. You don't have to type it in, uh, you know, something like, I'll call you later or, or I'm on my way home or What's up? You can type in a custom uh, message, but I guess you know if you can't answer the phone, you're probably doing something else, and you you may not be able to take the time to uh, send a uh, or, or craft a text message. So, but you do have that option, and um, I think that's a nice little improvement. It probably would be nice if you could do both, though. Send them a a message as well as a uh, reminder, because I know I'll probably send a message saying I'll call you later and then totally forget about it. But <laughs> but uh, did you notice that on your phone, Tim? Did you see? No, I did not. Uh, yeah, you you uh, you've learned a lot about yeah. it already. Yeah. <laughs> so I just got mine yesterday. Well, so yeah. well, you uh, got a little time then. To play. I haven't gotten through all those things. Right. Right. Um, and then the, there's in the mail application they've also um set up a a vip inbox i haven't uh done that on my phone yet i think the idea though I, is have you done it yes uh because it's part of ios 6 which i've yeah. upgraded all the software yeah. uh and it actually works very well i actually like that because i've set up a certain list of maybe 7 8 people and uh i always check that one first and that helps me typically deal with the most urgent matters first i i like it yeah so so you've got uh, – the way it works, I guess, is it, it kind of squelches everybody except for those that are in your VIP list. Is that right? No, it actually – what it does is it sets up a, a separate, almost like a folder or inbox, as it were, for VIPs. Mm -hmm. And so actually I'm looking at my phone right now, and there's a, just a separate area that showed up. Uh, I've got my all inboxes, and then the next area says VIP. Uh, and it shows me how many new messages I have that have been tagged as VIP. I click on that, and those are the only email messages that I see. Okay. And so it's almost like a new inbox, in effect. Yeah. And can you control the um, the sounds based on which inbox you've got? Because I thought I'd seen somewhere where you could uh, use that as well so that, uh, uh, you know, if you wanted to not have all the other emails coming in, uh, ding every time they came in only the ones in your vip inbox would would do that 
I may be wrong on that, but I thought I'd seen something about uh, how you could. Yeah, I've not tried that. that. I don't know about that. Yeah, okay. I may be off base with that, but I'll have to check into that. Um, and then the, the camera, the panorama mode, the camera is really nice, and I think the, the low light um, capability is, is better, and I think that also helps with um, the uh, uh, zoom feature as well, kind of getting rid of some of the graininess. I remember in the past, uh, didn't really use the zoom hardly at all because if you zoomed at all, the, the, the quality of the photo would get pretty grainy. But I think that part of it has uh, definitely improved, and the, the panorama mode is really neat too. So being able to um, you know get wide panorama shots very easily is uh, is pretty a pretty slick feature and. Um, I know I've already used it a few times, and I imagine we'll be doing that a lot more, too. But they've made it really easy. I mean, it's, you know, foolproof as far as how it operates and just, you know, tapping a button and moving your camera uh, from, from I think, uh, left to right is how it works. You can't do it from right to left, so <laughs> if that's a, a problem, then uh, that's not going to work for you. But um Hey Bill, uh, I, I experimented a little bit with that as well, and I may be wrong on this, but I got, I tried it in landscape, and it doesn't seem to work correctly in landscape, but only if you're holding the phone in a portrait. Yeah. Um, is that is that correct? Yeah, that that's right. And the reason behind that is because the way the you know a um, panorama shot works is it it takes the picture, of course, as it's moving across, and then in order to give it to crop it correctly it crops off the top and bottom and you know you have more to crop when you take it in um, uh, the portrait mode as opposed to landscape mode so you're right mm -hmm. it does not work and it's not designed to work in in landscape mode but you know really you don't need it in landscape mode since you are um, uh, you know moving it uh, from from left to right and getting a wide right. shot anyway so yeah that that is a limitation as well um, and the last thing I was going to mention is the uh, the phone number and Apple ID is now unified. Uh, I don't know if y'all had had frustrations on that in the past, but uh, you know you get a, a message on your phone, but it wouldn't show up on your your other devices or, or vice versa. But now you can tie your your phone number to your Apple ID so that iMessages and FaceTime calls will show up on on any of your iOS devices as well as your OSX uh computers. So uh that I thought was was finally a nice uh thing to bring together because I've had those frustrations in the past. But um one thing that you do have to uh have configured for that to work is that on your Apple ID information you have to have your cell phone number, your iPhone cell phone number on there, uh, you can actually set it up, and a lot of times I won't put um, my cell phone number on, you know, registrations or uh, that type of thing when I'm filling it out, just because I don't want that to be uh, utilized too much or get out in the public too much. But um, and I had actually left it off, left the, the cell phone number off of my Apple ID account information when I initially set that up. So I was having a little bit of difficulty trying to make that work and I finally figured out well I got to go back there and it was it was blank and as soon as I fill that in then 
it magically appeared uh, on my cell phone and my other devices that uh, it would tie all those together. So um, if you haven't done that yet, you might want to give that a try because I know it's nice to have those show up on on uh, you know whatever device you have in front of you at, at that time. Now, Bill, wh- where do you go to make that change? Is is that an iOS six specific uh, change, or is that an iOS? I mean, a uh, iPhone five matter? Yeah, um, it's it's iOS six, and if you go into your settings and um, go down to uh, your messages, you got to set it on messages as well as your FaceTime, and um, okay. the the send and receive under messages is where you tie all that together and you've got options on which uh, which accounts you want it to um, connect together but if you uh, select your phone number then it'll allow you to um, tie all those together okay. and then and then FaceTime right. FaceTime has the same option so uh, but if it doesn't work it may be because you don't have your cell phone number on your Apple ID registration information so you might want to check all that out but once you do get that set up it, it works really nice so um that uh, that kind of wraps up what I wanted to talk about on uh, iOS 6 but there's a lot of other little things there and um you know just kind of uh, discover them as we uh play with the new phones and the new iOS 6 and uh maybe next time we'll have some more um things that we've uncovered in the in the process so um I think at this point, uh, Tim has a another story for us. I don't know exactly which story this one is, so I'm going to just let him uh, develop that for us and uh, turn it over to you, Tim. Okay, well, maybe this is just a, a follow-on story of um, kind of ridiculous things I have done, <laughs> but it's a, it, it really follows up from our discussion uh the last time about having a uh an inside pocket a pocket inside uh your front pocket that uh, iphone could fit into i i think well barrett brought up the fact that that really is a change pocket and um but i would like to see uh clothing manufacturers put in uh Put in inside pockets so that uh, the phone doesn't turn sideways. Um, maybe maybe Apple could get into the clothing business to sell in their stores, but um, that's a joke. I know. Well, yeah. Hey, my, my question is, how big would that pocket have to be if they wanted to accommodate some of these big Galaxy phones? Uh, no, but <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna if they those. sold them in their uh, in their Apple stores, they'd only sell Apple. Well, brands. that's true. That's true. So right. <laughs> it would just fit the iPhone. Yeah, now if some of that uh, stuff starts showing up out there in Cupertino in their uh, company store, then we need yeah, to. Oh yeah, we they need to do talk sell clothes there. Yeah, yeah, but uh, if they start putting in iPhone pockets, we'll have to talk to them about a. Um, uh, you know, some, some royalties there. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I really, I wish every uh, pair of pants, I had shorts or long dress pants, any any pants had this inside pocket that would fit the the iPhone and keep it in the right position. And, and I remember Barrett saying previously that he kept uh, his 
phone, uh, not now, but in years past, in a in a clip on, uh, uh, in a cl- belt, yeah, on your belt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, clip on mechanism. I can't remember what it is. It's a, it was, uh, uh, and I had the same thing. And but the reason I quit doing that and started carrying in my pocket was that I had it clipped on my belt, and I was taking our dog for a walk uh, together with my son, who was 13 years old at the time. So I think this was in 2007 when the first iPhones came out. So I had it on my belt, and I was walking down the street. Uh, it was at night, and my shoes uh, came untied. So I put my foot up on the curb to tie my shoe, and of course I leaned over, and that angle was just the angle that caused my phone to pop off that uh, uh, clip-on case, and it went down in a uh, in one of those drainage concrete oh, no. drainage uh, cisterns or whatever it is. You know, they had these huge concrete blocks on top of them, and then there's about four inches under it. So it's where the rainwater is supposed to drain in. Well, my phone went down in there. And fortunately, there was no water in it, but it was down at the bottom. It was at at least six feet deep, somewhere between six and ten feet deep. So the only way I could get it was to hold my son David by the ankles. (laughs) And Well, first of all, we had to take the concrete a big concrete slab off of it. How'd you do that? And then hold him by the ankles, and he reached down there and got it, and it worked perfectly. But uh, after that, I never wore a clip-on case again. There's just something about you at traveling at night and ditches and culverts and and all that. I I can't quite figure out (laughs) what... what, (laughs) What the situation is with you? <laughs> oh well, Dave, so, so David son. David didn't mind being held upside down, or did he just not have an option on that? <laughs> oh gosh! But um, so I always carried my pocket, and now we've got to have uh, pants that will have internal pockets. So I agree, I agree. Yeah, it's definitely much more secure in your. Your pants pocket. Now don't you, know, you got to be careful if you put it in your um, your shirt pocket because uh, leaning over those things tend to fly out as well. So pants pocket is definitely where it needs to be. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, good deal, Tim. Thank you for that. Um, we can always count on Tim for a good a good story. But, oh gosh, <laughs> that's a very that's not a great contribution. But anyway, maybe yeah. it. It's a little bit of entertainment. Well, I, I like I, I like the picture of uh, you holding David by his ankles down into a drainage ditch. <laughs> oh man! I'm just glad you didn't drop him. Yep. All right. So, um, to uh, move into our apps and following section this week, um, uh, Barrett, do you have a uh, some some picks for us? An app and a Twitter pick. I do. Uh, one of my uh, favorite apps that I have begun to use a good deal uh, lately, which saves a significant amount of time, is a product called Text Expander. 
Uh, it's available, I, I believe, on the app uh, on the App Store for the Mac, uh, and it's also available for the uh, iPad. I don't know that's available for the iPhone. I haven't checked. It probably is. But essentially what it allows you to do is create any length of text. Uh, it could be a couple words. It could be a date. It could be a signature. It could be a whole letter and then create what's called a snippet from it. So if you're uh, responding to an email or you're writing a, a paper of some sort or producing a document, when you want that particular text to be inserted, you simply type in two or three key letters simultaneously, and it will insert the entire text for you automatically. Uh, and their latest version includes the ability to create multiple types of form fields. So, for example, if you are typing a letter, and let's say there are four places in uh, there are four places in that letter where you want to insert specific information, such as the person's name, a time, maybe an address or something. You can use text expander, type three letters. It puts a whole letter in there with your form fields. You fill in a form, hit the tab key, fill in the next one, et cetera, and it's finished. And the beauty of this is is that it works across all of the applications where you can produce text on your Mac. So, again, email, documents, messages, whatever it might be. So it's a universal uh, uh, deployed app. For your system, so I have found that to be a tremendous time saver. Yeah, I've heard of that one. I've used it a little bit on the the iPhone. I've downloaded it uh, for iOS, but uh, haven't used it on the Mac. But I would think that would probably be uh, where it might be the most uh, helpful. I think it's a little more. It's fairly expensive though for the Mac. Um, I think it's it's about $39, I believe. But yeah. here's the thing. Once you have it on your Mac and you create the snippets, yeah. it synchronizes with your other iOS devices. Okay. So if you create them on your Mac, they're available on your iPad. And again, I'm not quite sure about the iPhone. I haven't checked. So if you don't, you know, if, if you find it problematic to type on the iPad lengthy material, you can use these snippets and it's immediately put there for you. Right. Yeah, I think that'd be real helpful. As far as my uh, Twitter pick today, it would be Office of Ed Tech. It's all one word. It's uh, the hashtag, and it's O-F-F-I-C-E-O-F-E-D-T-E-T-C-H. Uh, and they provide a lot of useful information uh, from the government regarding technology in education, so you're able to stay current on best practices as well as current research, and I have found that to be a, a useful resource. Okay, great, great. Well, um, my app pick of the week is Flipboard, and it's what I use to um, primarily on my uh, iPad, but you can also uh, use it on your iPhone. But it's just a great uh, application for keeping up with uh, you know current events, news. Uh, you can integrate your Twitter uh, feed, your Facebook feed and all kinds of uh, other topics that you want to follow. But I think it's one of the best uh, in terms of presentation of the information as well as just fun to use. And I I use it almost every day, but it's um, it's very helpful. And um, I just uh, it's just one of those apps that's a lot of fun to use. So uh, that would be uh, my app pick of the week, Flipboard. And then uh, Twitter would be um, my Twitter pick is Ion Education, and this is a group they provide uh, prof professional services uh, for education, and um, 
their their mission statement on their site is that they provide busy educators with practical information on pro- professional development, educational leadership, school improvement, student assessment, data analysis, teaching skills, and other related topics. But they um, they just have a lot of uh, good information, um, you know, related to the educational area. And so I have a lot of fun just kind of keeping up with that and. Um, uh, you know, they provide some really good information there. So uh, that's what I was going to share for my Twitter pick this week. Um, and then Tim, Tim likes to be a, a cowboy when it comes to this uh, app and Twitter stuff. So I don't know what he wants to uh, throw in the mix tonight. Well, I've, each, both of y'all have such great picks every week. And I'm, I'm just... Uh, I don't have picks that that fit in as well with our general theme, but I, I would say probably many, many people have these applications that I would mention, which is uh, the uh, Wall Street Journal and the New York Times apps I use every single day. And, I, and to me, they're much better than accessing them online and of course, much better than reading the paper versions. But the reason they help me the most, I think, is to be able to download them so that you can read them on the plane if you don't have uh, Wi-Fi access, access on the plane. And of course, many flights have um, now Wi-Fi access, but many still don't, and a lot of the commuter planes don't. And so... Uh, with the New York Times app and the Wall Street Journal app, I always just download them uh, while I still have Wi-Fi access or even with cellular uh, data or cellular access. And then you can read on the plane the whole time. Now I just wish that they would uh, allow you to read even during takeoff and landing. <laughs> I wish it didn't interfere with the uh, – uh, navigation system, although I'm not quite sure how that really works. So um, I think I've found it's much better to use those apps so that you have them downloaded on your iPad or iPhone uh, and don't have to access them actively on the Internet through Wi-Fi connection, which you don't have on many flights. Sure. So. Sure. Uh, and just the, the Twitter pick as I've started uh, listening to the National Academy of Sciences Twitter feeds, and they have a lot of useful news about science and science edu- education. So um, the National Academy of Science Twitter site. What I was asking, Tim, was um, if you have set up your Twitter account yet. I thought you had told, told us a while back that you weren't on Twitter. No, and you're exactly right, and I, I have. It's pitiful. I still haven't. I, what I've done is looked at the the National Academy of Science uh, Twitter site just on my uh, on my Mac okay. Air, but I've I've got to get it set up on my phone. Maybe you can can help me with that. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna uh, make it a challenge to get you set up on Twitter here in the next week or two. So okay, we will definitely work on that. All right, then. Well, that's our uh, our show for this week. So um, thank you for joining us. And uh, 
If you uh, liked what you heard, tell your friends about our podcast and uh, watch for future episodes coming soon. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next go-around.